Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Attention, which is of course, bien sûr, en français, pour Achtung, Achtung. Um, 80 <laughs> years ago, um, this week, Vichy France ooh, yeah, um, and Japan signed an agreement for military cooperation for the joint defence of French Indochina. And that turned out well, as we all know. Um, some people uh, think we might run out of things to talk about on this pod, but right there is a 10 part series that will barely scratch the surface of the complexities of the Second World War. Um, uh, and I've been reading that book about the war in China. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and, oh, my mind is being blown. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and my co-conspirator, uh, James Holland. Um, before we go any further, a big shout out to whoever's been listening to us in the Gaza Strip. 19 recent downloads suggest someone is getting a bit of mental respite from their day-to-day challenges by listening to Jim and I. You are most welcome, um, as is the person in Ulaanbaatar. Of 364 downloads in Mongolia, 358 of them were in the capital. Is it one person obsessing or a small clan of like-minded souls spending their Monday nights on the live stream? I like to think it's the latter. We don't know, but whoever you are, you're also very welcome. And a few bits of news. We have Wazefest, or Wargasm, as I like to call it, is sold out. All the tickets are gone. Yeah, if you're too slow, you've missed out. 1,000 of the afflicted will be joining James and I in a field this September. And for the avoidance of doubt, we will be mostly talking about the Second World War. I'm delighted to confirm our first session proper, Hal Sosabowski. Yeah, you know that surname. And Peter Caddick Adams, the SPCA, will be joining me on stage on Saturday morning. Um, uh, basically, Hal, uh, Hal is the uh, great-grandson of the great general. Peter's the chat just like a fantastic uh, popping jay um i'm the normal person um, you can be joining me on saturday morning september the 18th to debate the follow following so basically d plus one of market garden itself and the debate the debate is operation market garden 10 percent failure question mark um as mm. i said for those that don't know yeah yeah exactly as I, uh, for those that don't know hal is the great um his great grandfather stanislav sosobowski who led the Polish First Independent Parachute Brigade, who jumped into Driel, delayed, of course, by the bad weather across the Nadarine from Ustabik on the edge of Arnhem. Hal tells the story brilliantly, and if you're coming, do not miss this. PCA reckons the whole effort was a waste of men and resources. 
Um, uh, expect fireworks. I'll be uh, uh, jumping in on, alongside Hal as he fights off an aggressive thrust from Caddick Adams, who will no doubt have been hiding in the woods, <laughs> though visible, of course, due to his uh, check clashing with the natural landscape. <laughs> also, um, for those of you who haven't joined us for the Monday Night live stream in a little while, it's all singing and indeed all dancing. Short films, shot and location are very much in vogue. Graphics on screen, stable pictures, you name it. Monday nights at 8.30pm for the Patreons. Um, there'll be no live stream next week. James is on holiday. We will be back on the 9th. James, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm um, I'm feeling flush with victoire. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm holding up my finger, my two fingers, yeah. in a Churchill victory yeah. sleep because it's been a great weekend for Chalk Valley CC. On Saturday, honestly, on, on Friday, I looked at the weather forecast on my German weather app and it just looked like thunder and lightning the whole weekend. Donner Cricket, and Blitzen. Donner and Blitzen, exactly. And it, and it looked like total washout all weekend. Amazing, we played both games and didn't get a speck of rain in either. Incredibly. Brilliant. And Brilliant. on Saturday, we whipped Charlton down, um, who were number two in Division Three of the Dorset Funeral League. And yeah. um, uh, and so that, that gives us a really wide, nice opening um, stretch from first to second. Right, uh, right. Which basically means it's, you know, we've got to play really badly and cock it up massively not to win now. Uh, and then Sunday was the T Dorset T Twenty Cup final, neutral ground, neutral umps, um, and we beat Sherburn. So we've now beat Dorchester, Poole, and Sherburn. Humble little Chalk Valley CC, all of is which are since, in the Premiership. Is this uh, since the injection of um, independent company cash? That's all I'm asking. Yeah, I think it is. I think that's a really, really fair point. I, I, I just feel that when all the lads go out on the pitch and lasses, because we've also got Clover Cross who opens a bowling on for the league side on Saturdays yeah. Yeah. Um, when she's not harvesting. Um, um, when we all go out wearing our We Have Ways of Making You Talk shirts, indoor shirts, I think we just feel a little stronger. I feel we feel a little bit more unified. We feel together. It's because you've got the, the the backing of allies, basically, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And how did you... How did you? I mean, what did you do? How did you do yesterday? Well, I didn't do very well. I came in at number five, uh, and I got three. But you know, oh, okay. But you know, I think the, the point is on the route to the cup, the the Raspberry Ripple Cup that we received. Um, you know, we've all everyone in the team has played their part at some point. We've all chipped in. So, Glenn, big Glenn, who opens the batting, he, he hasn't really troubled the score but much this 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 campaign. But yesterday, right. smashed seventy and hit some of the biggest sixes I've ever seen. Right. Amazing. So, he so was you know, so he was on. when the moment came. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, everyone, everyone's contributed. You know, so um, so yeah, no, it's, well, it's, good, cool. it's good. You know, it's good, good. Yeah, United Fantastic. effort. United, we stand. Oh, excellent. excellent. Yeah. So, so we're still, I still, I still can't quite believe it. If I'm true, truly honest. I mean, yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. You know. I mean, it really. We were really were the minnows. We would not expect to win. I think it might be a bit embarrassing for Dorset cricket, to be honest. Do you, do you think it's? Do you think it? Do you think it's anything to do with you know that because no one played any last year, the playing field's been levelled a bit? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's all sorts of. I, I just think it's you know sport in the time of COVID just is a bit topsy turvy, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, now we're in the regional matches, so I'm going to miss it next Sunday. But Sunday is against Bath. Really? What you like? <laughs> yeah. You go up? up, up, <laughs> we, go, up we go up. Now, now it's region, regional competition. Dear God! <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh, well, shame you're missing. You're on holiday, aren't you? You're yeah, away yeah, on holiday, which is I'm why not. there's no live, live cast next. Yeah, month. sorry about that. I mean, I, w- I would have been, I would have been up for it, but it's just uh, in the Lake District. It's not, it's not known for its strong Wi-Fi. No, no, it's not. No, no. I yes, I wandered lonely as a cloud and couldn't get a signal anywhere. Like, <laughs> but 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 how about you? I mean, you've you've had been having a fantastic well, we week, were, haven't you? We I were loved you um, last uh, week. Al Murray yeah. as Monty. I mean, you know, I we know. were we were all wondering the other day who should be playing Monty, <laughs> and then suddenly that photo tipped up with you. With your your red that. collar tabs, your your beret, the whole oh, shebang, no. I, but I, I but no corduroy trousers. I, I do look good in khaki. Um, well, basically, the director <laughs> you look, said, "You look very good in khaki." To, he said, "Who do you want to dress up as? You know, who do you want? Which tank commander do you want to be?" And I thought, "Well, you know, we can let's let's we're bending it bending it a little." Soon. I said, "I'll dress up as Monty." The two badges <laughs> on the beret immediately. Everyone knows what that means. And uh, did you stay and, character but, but, all day? I did not stay in character day because, I, I, you know, we, we haven't finished the series yet. There's still lots more work to do. And the last thing I want to do is to tell them all their bloody gutless buggers. Um, the, the, uh, but last and then week, she thrashed really... me and I took it. <laughs> oh, yes, I was telling them all about that. On, uh, I was going, oh, have you listened to Monty's Desert Island Discs? I was going through the highlights. They couldn't believe it. No, it's um, absolutely amazing. But 
What was really interesting last week? So we we we're doing this this um, program for the History Channel, and it was the turn of it was the turn of Germany last week, basically. Excellent. Why did the British beat everyone at war? And we had Henning Vane along. And what was so interesting, right? And Henning, I've known a really long time. I've known Henning at least fifteen years, right? We're pals, and uh, and I think he's an incredibly funny guy. And he's been in Britain a really long time, but he does not know anything about the Second World War. Literally, zip. He, I mean, he obviously knows the outcome, um, but but he does not know. He does not know. He can name Jack anything. Hitler. Yeah, he doesn't know a thing about it. And you know, we 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 went. So we on Wednesday we went to Biggin Hill, and uh, I went up in a Mark Nine, um, uh, 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 which was just fantastic. And having to, that whole business of having to do having to do pieces to camera to another aeroplane, you know, just sat there going. Um, uh, you know, this week we're talking about the Second World War, and I get to my, uh, you know, what a kip in, and I and I we actually have got steel, not flesh, into this program. I said, well you know, done. The, the British were at the centre of the Second World War from start to finish, and the way they chose to fight the war was using steel, not flesh, technology, industry, intelligence. Right. Well um, done. And what encapsulates that better than the iconic submarine Spitfire? And on the word Spitfire, the pilot went like that, and off we off we went like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, going, say, I can say it. I can say it. With her going, you okay with a G? And me going, I'm fine with a G. Um, but, um, <laughs> and then a couple of pieces to camera. In, she, I, I, oh, I, I would said, have felt a bit insulted we... even just being asked. Well, no, I, she. They, they don't know, do they? They normally out of Biggin Hill. It's pensioners, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're flying old. They're flying old. You're right, their, dear. <laughs> exactly for their seventieth birthday, and they're, they're taking them up, and and you know they're worried about teeth falling out and stuff. Anyway, the, the, the but but and then we did and then we did some stuff where I said I've got another piece of camera to do. So can you do like can you do something at aerobatic and I'll do it while the sky's spinning around behind me and everything and the ground and the yeah, sun. Yeah. And so, and so, that's what we did then for the next ten minutes. And then I, and then I flew it back to, to Biggin Hill, which was which was very exciting. Yeah, very. And she goes, oh, you've you've got this worked out absolutely. And it was interesting how light, how light a touch. I mean, on the on, on the you know like like a very light touch on a tiller on a boat, really. If you don't want to do too much, it's thumb and finger. But, but, it's thumb and finger. But isn't again, it? exactly the thing I was really struck by again, which is the same with the Mustang. It's when we peeled away from the from the, you know they've got that sort of transit van aeroplane that flies alongside. That, mm. that if you go in the if you go on a Spitfire trip, you're re- you can stick your relatives in the other plane, and they can fly alongside and take pictures of you. It's part of the service at Biggin Hill, right? Right. And and um, when we peeled away, I then completely disoriented, couldn't 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 see them anywhere, and and I'm sat in that back cockpit going, where are they? Crane going, in the well, neck. I know where. The- Wishing wishing you put on a silk shirt, a silk scarf. A, a, a silk scarf, exactly. So immediately, immediately thinking about all that stuff. And she goes, well, I know where they are. I thought, well, of course you do. You do this every day. Like, I've got, no, 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 clueless. Amazing. Anyway, so we did that. We did that on... Uh, so what, did, so the, Henning didn't sort of um, sit underneath well, the pilot so was, in the 109? Well, so we stood next... To, no, so we stood next to the 109 they've got there. And Henning, I said, this is a Messerschmitt 109. And Henning's like a what? Doesn't know. <laughs> That's Unbelievable. Doesn't know, and he, and he was being funny. He was going, "I'd only know this was a German aeroplane because of the German writing on it, you know, because there's a lift here and there's a um, yeah, yeah. oxygen oxygen goes, you know, all the normal yeah. stuff you see on an airframe." And he, he 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 didn't know, and then and then he's sort of going, "Well, you know, it's interesting because it, you're interested in engineering at least. It's it's like, it, but he just diddly squat, didn't know a thing about it. Amazing. And then um and then what did we do on what did we do on Wednesday afternoon? So but we was it? Did, but he, did he get interested? Yeah. He did get interested. He do, did do you really think he's going to read a book now? He might do. I mean, his thing is football. So every single... I mean, it's funny, you know, what with all the sort of two World Wars and one World Cup stuff. His, his, his actual proper interest... I mean, he came to the UK to do to do statistical analysis for Wickham Wanderers. That was his job. That's his thing. That's right? amazing. Up number crunching for football teams. That was his... That's his speciality. Anyway, so so when we... So then we went to Bentley Priory and we talked to Tim Wilbon there, who's the, who's yes. the historian there. Who, know, who talked about filtration and uh, uh, the filtering system. So the filter room, not the control room. Um, yes. The, the control room is the thing we all know for the Battle of Britain with the ladies with the snooker yeah, yeah, yeah. cues, you know, moving the... Moving the the filter room is where all the radar room. information comes into. So the, well, all, yes, all the radar information. And then once they're over the coast, it's handed on to um, the observer called cool. Eyes On. So you've got your SIGINT, you've got your SIGINT, mm-hmm. and then it's handed over to the groups and the yep. observer course. But... But so the filter thing is the range cutting, which is a technique developed in the First World War for detecting mortar ranging. 
So they'd have listening listening posts is what they do. And yeah. You'd you'd work out the dis- the time to one listening post, the time to the other would tell you would tell you the, the range. So they so they the, the, there's this thing. There's a light. One, two, three, four, five says the light. The light changes every thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. You get a plot on one. You put it. You mark it on the map. You get a plot on two from whichever radar station. So it's all the different over RDF stations. All the different overlapping RDF. Lots and lots of stations, and and the amount of overlap was really really interesting. I thought was striking on the on the map they have there. Yes, the amount of overlap between the RDF stations is striking because you can attack one, but there's still plenty of overlap from another four, yeah, five. Yeah. You know, because they're sort of big that? and uh, incredibly sensible. Because they're sort of big and vague, the RDFs, aren't they? So yeah. so actually, you use them to cross check each other. Anyway, so you every thirty seconds, if you get a plot, you mark the plot, and then you range cut. And you figure out where they're going and you can change it, tell if they're changing direction. And then the up on the gantry, if it's if they decide it's a hostile formation, they fly, they have a torch and they shine a swastika torchlight on the formation and then mark H on it and mark it up as a hostile formation. Height, um, uh, height and composition, so numbers. <clears throat> and they try and, and then they track which way it's going. And of course... And it's adjusted you know, all the time, isn't it? It's adjusted all per- the time. It's adjusted basically every 30 seconds. It's in this permanent rolling thing, and you and you mark them one, two, three, four, five, and then and then when the next thirty seconds comes around, you mark the next the next one. And that's once. The, that's you the coloured clock, isn't it? The coloured clock's involved. It's a coloured. There's a coloured clock. There's a coloured clock, and there's the 30, 32 and a half minutes time lapse thing that's every thirty seconds. And just what just the the sort of you know, and of course it's mainly women doing this work, and certainly at the start of the war it's men doing it, but then basically the men all the men are sort of you know taken out of the situation it's mainly women running it mainly women processing the data and they apparently they found people who'd worked um they'd found people who'd worked in the stock exchange particularly good at this kind of fast number analysis you know rapid number crunching it's just so interesting and and bentley priory i really really recommend it if you get the chance to go it's in a sort of odd location it's near stan it's near uh watford isn't it yeah and you uh, and you it's on a on a private estate where they've built lots well, of stanmore built, isn't it it's sort of Stammer, isn't it? And they built lots of houses in the grounds now. So it's a sort of posh, gated housing estate. But the heart of it is the priory, the the main building. And they've a room for the few. And then they've a room which is pilot stories and paint portraits and stuff. And then they've a room for the many, which is which is everyone, you know, behind the scenes of the RF. And of course, that's the point with the RF is it's a colossal operation. And then there's the one which is Dowding because it's really into Dowding as as the guy. Um and I, if you can get to Bentley Priory, if you can go, just go and look. I mean, the the thing is, I thought was interesting about it is the fil is the filter room was the thing that really struck me as different. I've been to lots of uh, uh, Battle of Brittany stuff that's got the vibe of the few thing. I think that we know about the few, but we don't quite know yet. People in the popular um, imagining, you don't really know as much about the. And then I was reading the text in there. I thought, hang on a minute. So the doubting system was more than the sum of its parts. It was, or each part wasn't necessarily good, but the whole thing. I thought, hang on a minute. Where have I read that before? Do these words strike familiar. And, uh, <laughs> and am I right in thinking that um, you, you were you were involved in some of the uh, uh, some of that, Jim? Yeah, I, I wrote all of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wrote all of it on that that museum, and it was a fascinating process because you you had the designers, and the designers were kind of sort of you know they were interested, but obviously they're 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 designers. Um, yeah. So it was trying to sort of marry, you know, what I thought was important to say with what they wanted to be you know the over you know the RAF and and the and the Bentley yeah. Priory Trust wanted to wanted that you know their big message the few the many the one um and so marrying it all together was just it was just a very 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 interesting exercise yeah, yeah. um and and all yeah. the time you know while they were doing it you know they were desperately fundraising and desperately trying to get money and um I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I, I do remember we we had this this big lunch with with Michael Ashcroft. You know, we were really hoping that he was going to come in and, and bail us yeah. out and you know get get yeah. it all going and all the rest of it. And we took him to this private room at the RF Club, and Jeff Wellham yeah. came up, and you know Lovely. we sort of schmoozed him and the rest of it. <laughs> sat there eating the lunch, all the rest of it being charmed by Jeff yeah. Wellham. And the yeah. end of it said, "No, it's not really for me." <laughs> oh, no, I mean, why you don't accept that lunch if you're not going to? Doing something, yeah. you bastard. Um, 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, and I remember the, there was the guy who was going to was painting the ceiling, and it was fantastic. Yeah. And and, um, and I said to him, look, just don't make them too big, and don't have them in just Vix of three. Have them in squadrons of twelve, and you, you need a lot more bombers, and you know all the rest yeah. of it. And and you know they really they, they bless them. They, you know they took they took it all on board, and that ceiling in that big room in that big ballroom, uh, the uh, oh, it's incredible. It, it's, it's just it just yeah. looks so good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think the way it's all been laid out is really. I think the design of it is is absolutely fantastic, actually. And it's all and it, you know, and it's and it's run by people who you know really care and really well, really mind about this stuff. And I mean, I had my usual thing that I filmed there, and I now I have to go back there because you, you you know when you go film somewhere, you think, well, I haven't been there really. Yeah, uh, we we went there and we did one bit. Well, we should but go the, there. Well, I'd love to go, but I haven't been we, back for I think, I think, since I, we did I it. I think we should go, because the Dowding's office there, which they run a sort of film on a gauze. And, That's uh, it, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's really yeah, cool, isn't it? That sort yeah, of Avatar that. thing. Well, I didn't get to see that because because we were filming. Oh, also, no, it's good. I mean, I mean it is good. What it was works. really interesting talking to, to Tim about was about how after the Battle of Britain, then the Dowding system gets turned into a portable mobile thing. Yeah. That you, that you export to the desert, and they put a permanent net up around Alexandria when they think shit's really going to hit the fan, right, uh, yeah. in the desert. And so they have a, a proper air defence system protecting Egypt proper, right, uh, protecting Cairo and Alexandria and everything. They put that in, and then they gradually move a mobile one forward as it goes and figure out a way in the desert of making it into this mobile system that then they take to Sicily, that then they take to Italy, that then they take to, the, that then they take to Normandy. And he's writing. He's writing a book about that because he says you do not have air superiority if you don't. Tim Wilbond is writing that. Yeah, yeah. He says if you don't, if you don't have without. He says he says the Battle of Britain without the Dowding system, there is no Battle of Britain because mm. the Germans can do what they want with him. You know, you're relying on basically yeah. on. You, you can do what they want. They can do. Well, well you have exactly. the situation you have in France where you're you're having to take off and sort of hoping you bumped into the Luftwaffe patrol and tool around looking for people. Yeah, which is a complete and, and, waste and, and, of, air, of fuel, engine uh, hours, everything. I mean, it's just everything. Everything, absolutely everything, and 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 you know, uh, and you squander your home advantage in because you know the, the squadrons in France have an effective home advantage, don't they? Because they they can they they're yeah. fighting over where they're defending. It's the same deal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it's just it was he was really interesting, and he was saying he says it just gets forgotten. But you know, without this system, you, air superiority is impossible. So the key to air superiority is is this kind of fighter control system. That means you could run a run a battle properly, and well, I think he's absolutely. I, I can't disagree. He's absolutely right. No, absolutely. Well, we should. It would be great to go and talk to him at Bentley Parrot. Yeah. I think we should definitely yeah. fix that yeah. up. But but yeah. But um, really interesting. I remember when I was up at up at Scampton some years ago, filming up there. We then had a. a we were, they said, you know, would you would you like to come and see the kind of you know the the, the fighter control room that we have today? We went, yeah, yeah. it'd be great. And okay, so it had lots of buttons and kind of you know bright shiny things and kind of you know, uh, um, and obviously it was kind of sort of modernised. Although frankly, not quite as modernised as you, one might expect. <laughs> Although yeah. actually, maybe it's exactly as you'd expect. But but yeah, but yeah. basically, it was the def- the air defence system for the UK. You know, this was back in twenty twelve or something. Was it pretty same. much exactly the same? The pr- all the principles were the same. There was no yeah. difference. The only thing that you know, the tools were kind of more sophisticated, but the principles were all exactly the same. Well, it's all got, and it's all got quicker. Yeah, the planes are all faster, but the principles, the you know, so they all arrive. But they how arrive they do it? Further. How they do it? You know, and how the yeah. screening, how they get scrambled, all the rest of it. You know, the kind of you know the the backup systems, all the rest of it. It's it's all exactly the same. It's amazing. So well, we, you know, and if anything kind of proves the brilliance of the original, it's its longevity, isn't it? Yeah. The other thing anyway, was actually, so, I must just say very quickly, though, is um, back on. in 2006 when um, Bentley Pry was decommissioned from the RAF, they had a sunset dinner there. It was a sort of really swanky black tie sunset dinner. I expect you went to that, did you? Yeah, I did, yeah. You bastard. Yeah, but it was. Well, I yeah, know, all right, but but you've just been on a Spitfire, so, you know. You know yeah. like, uh, was, was, was uh, you know, Baron Dowding Jr. there? No, I don't remember that. But but you know, Pete Brothers was there, Jeff was there, Tom Neal was there. You know, all, all the all the you know, um, all the um, yeah, Bam Bam Burger, all the all yeah. the all the kind of guys that were still alive, uh, wow. Paul Farns, all that lot. All all of them was were um, were there. So there wasn't oh, a. I, I don't think there was a single kind of you know, fit and well Battle of Britain fighter pilot that wasn't there. So it was right. It was organised by the Battle of Britain Fighter Association. 
So, so it was this fantastic dinner. I, I was on a table with Jeff, but I remember beforehand we all went out onto the kind of you know the sort of portico where the, you've yeah. got these columns that yeah. looks down over kind of you know over the down, grounds. Yeah, yeah, but 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 also down over the sweep of London, you get the sense that you're kind of on the hill looking down towards the Thames, and there's sort of you know you can see every you know there's a kind of the London eye in the distance and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, the you know. Butterbrim Memorial Flight came over and did their did their thing, and they did an absolutely fantastic display. I mean, really, really good display, and a really long one, so a good fifteen minutes. It felt like brilliant. Anyway, Tom had just had his hip replaced. Tom Neal had just had his hip replaced, so he was in a wheelchair, and he was stuck behind a one of the pillars. <laughs> and I said to him, "Oh, Tom, you you can't see. Do you, do you want me to kind of move you so you can so you can watch it?" And he said. Don't worry, I know what they look like. <laughs> How brilliant is that? That's amazing. He's such a good Incredible. Lad. Anyway, it's a very memorable night, I have to say. Uh, brilliant. Well, then, and then, so then, on, that's, that was Wednesday. So that was Wednesday. Hold so, on, we've barely got so, started. So Thursday, we went and uh, we went on HMS um, uh, Alliance, which is the um, uh, at the Royal Navy Submarine Museum in Gosport. Oh yes, yes, yes. Which was commissioned in the Second World War, but wasn't complete. Didn't didn't uh, sail, I think, until yes. 1947. But it's basically a that's the one on stands sticking up out of the water, isn't it? St- oh, sat up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been on that. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's still pretty claustrophobic, isn't it? It's it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, it, you know, um, and we did a thing where we had to find an Enigma machine, and I had to explain. I'm saying, to, I mean, what's amazing? Henning has been in the UK 15 years. Doesn't not really doesn't really know about Enigma. I'm going. Come on, you must know about this. It's the thing the British go on about to make themselves feel good about inventing the computer. You know, come on, you must have. No, not really. I don't know. What's <laughs> amazing? It's just so. And I come on, and I said, and you know, a letter can never be it can never be itself. That's its flaw. You know, that's it's that's your way in. Yeah, yeah. What were you talking about? It's just it really, really, really so funny. funny. Yeah. Um. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, uh, and then we went out in F eight with Stephen. Yeah, which was which was terrific. Steve um, Fisher, and Steve Fisher, who who you know explained the just and it, when he gets going about the the scale of organisation on D Day for Overlord, yeah, for Neptune rather, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just oh my god, you know this this whole thing and and the acquiring of you know um, uh, sea superiority that has to happen long before you can even think about sailing an armada there. It's just so, he's so he should do. He should do a book called Organising D-Day. Well, why not? Uh, he'd do it absolutely brilliantly. And yep. he, is, he is the best place person I know to do it. So he just do yep. absolutely everything, how it was organised, where it was yep. organised, all that stuff. I think it'd be yep. absolutely fascinating. And I don't think that would necessarily be dry. I think you can make that really interesting. I know, of course you could. He, I mean, it's very funny as well, because when we were on the landing craft, so we did a thing where we went into a beach, and then Henning and I, in uh, joke joke, <laughs> joke shop costumes, ran ashore. Um, uh, anyway, <laughs> he took me to one side, Steve, and said, by the way, I wrote the, um, I'm also really interested in Market Garden. So we... Oh, no! He never mentioned this yeah, before. He'd never mentioned it before. And he wrote the Wikipedia page on Market Garden, on Arnhem. No way. Yeah, he said oh, I took some time out to make sure because it wasn't a very good page, so I decided to write it. Yeah. Well, maybe we should get him up to come and talk about ten percent. I don't know. Anyway, that but that was that was really interesting. And then on and then on Friday, we went paintballing in in yes uh, in tanks. I mean, they're not tanks; they're um you know four three twos, but um FE four three twos. But <coughs> it was really really interesting. Because, because I mean, the, the so stunt just, was, just yeah, re- remind remind us about the the premise. So the stunt, the premise of the of the stunt was that Henning had a radio and I didn't. Right. So this is Blitzkrieg nineteen forty. Blitzkrieg nineteen forty. So you know the tanks are fairly evenly matched. In fact, arguably the Allied tanks are better. And what was interesting is the collection they've got Armageddon is really really good. And that he's got a. He's this got is Sexton, a Market Harbour or somewhere. Market Harbour somewhere around there. He's got Sexton Number One. Literally, it says one on the. You know, burnished on its frontish no piece. Way. You know, you know where they have a number. Yeah, like Sexton One, and he said it was an absolute wreck when they got it, but it's Sexton One, and How I think that's coming. I think that's coming to wargasm because sort of, um, you know, he, yeah. he didn't know. But meet the guy there, and he, he, he starts to make the connection. I go, you know, Tobin, don't you? And he, and he goes, oh right, yeah, yeah, that. Oh right, okay, I see. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got Sexton Number One. They got a hundred and five mil Sherman. They've got a super Sherman that they're that, that one of the eight left in the world. That's this up armored 
super thick armor on the Sherman that's in the workshop. Mm -hmm. Everything there's running. A lovely little carrier. Yeah. They've um uh, and they've the only Lee in the country, wow. which he thinks probably was in Burma. Yeah. Um, but it's not from the Australian inventory, so he thinks it's a British. It's a British Lee. And I said, oh, I know someone who knows about Lees in Burma. Um, and we, I mean, <laughs> it, the thing we it was interesting because because what we couldn't do was talk actually find a vehicle the site you know we didn't he didn't have a this guy doesn't have a panzer one panzer two he doesn't have a sharby or whatever so the lee is actually a really good way of talking about the sharby because it's the same configuration and it also shows that you know it's a 75 millimeter gun and a smaller gun it shows that the americans are looking at what the french do did yeah. and going actually that's the better tank that's a better weapons platform you know to have the option on a larger on a on a artillery piece and then a sort of cannon so it's really interesting anyway yeah. so so but the, but the premise was is I'm in, we're both in matching vehicles. Henning has a radio and I don't. And the idea is that I can't communicate with anyone and he can, so he can get the jump on me. But I had to load, aim, um, fire and command the vehicle all at once. Very Matilda, would, very Matilda. Would, which when you've not done it before, is a lot of work. Yeah, and they've got so so it's ping pong balls full of paint. I mean, you'd absolutely love this job. Yeah, it's ping pong balls full of paint. You open the you you, you charge the gun because it's compressed air. You charge the gun. You open the breech. You put the ping pong ball in. Then you you close the breech and you screw it shut yeah. with a bolt. Yeah, and then it's. It, I mean, you're literally clockwise clockwise for right, anti-clockwise for left, up and down with the barrel. You don't use the barrel to aim. That's the thing you learn quite quickly is you have to use the reticule. So we had to have the hatches down because the paintballs are dangerous. You you know, you'd, you'd lose an eye. Right. And it was it was really good fun. I bet. And, uh, and, but also you get the feeling, well, actually, you know, if I'm... Because we couldn't get closer. They won't let, let you do that. But there's a bit where the tracks are closer and then they're further apart. And you got the feeling, okay, so getting close is really important to be sure of your shot. Yeah. It's a thing that... that, that Seems obvious, so you've got to keep your powder dry. Doing it all yourself, not having an automated turret is physically demanding. Yeah. It's noisy, it's smelly. Um, if you're telling the guy, the driver, when to move as well as when you're going to aim and everything, you've got lots to concentrate on. And I know, you know, I know we were playing at it and all that sort of thing, but it was really, really, it was really interesting. And uh, a sort of fun and as kind of valid experiment. And Herring, Henning jumped out terribly overexcited enjoyed himself enormously and then had and then and then was going no but you know war war is death and killing but <laughs> i really enjoyed myself <laughs> but i mean what and then what was really good is we they um they've got they've got but did you know, he have got, a massive advantage having the radio well i don't know because i think if there'd been like four of us and four of him if you see what i mean then they would have had an advantage yeah. really but, it was just you but as him. it was as was, oh, he's over there. I'll go shoot him. Okay, because there's not a lot to radio about, presumably. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. But so, but but you know, we, but I if you had a, if you had a little troop each, that would be a different colour fish. Well, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, maybe I'm we should go mal- back there and try it. Well, maybe we should. Well, maybe I mean, we should get mal- so we should get some IC members. Mad- yeah, to be our troop. I mean, the magic, the magic of television. I'm sure will have Henning winning. But but the but but then what we did <laughs> is we talked about we talked about you know. Um, the anti-tank munitions and we were uh, you know the, the the change of the anti-tank weapon because they've got the little they've got the little you know the two pounder equivalent the German Pack 36 or whatever it is and then they've and they have an 88 right right and but actually we found that the rounds were the way, way to talk about that because the little round for the thing that's a, you know the two pounder equivalent you know you could like, you could pass that to each other quite easily easily and the war the, the, uh, the AP round right is incredibly heavy. Yeah, you know, from from an eighty. Well, of course it is. Oh, Jesus Christ! And well, of course it is. And that just completely made completely made the point. And then what did we, we do? And oh, and then we went to a place called Ashdown Camp, which is um in the yes. um, uh, uh, Vale of Isham, where they have Nissan Huts, they have a watchtower. Yeah. Um, and they sort of reenact there and stuff. And uh, uh, anyway, it was great fun. But what again? What was really interesting is Henning really didn't know about any of that about any of this and he's going you've been raised on this that's the problem <laughs> you, 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 I'm not saying you're obsessed <laughs> like well well I'm uh, a bit <laughs> I'm a little bit <laughs> you know I had no choice I blamed it all on my dad obviously blamed it on the colonel <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but he enjoyed it did he he did and I think and I think um, 
you know, I mean, it was we had very nice weather when we were out in the boat, which made a big difference. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, uh, it could it have was, been shooting down, couldn't it? Yeah, it, but I mean, it was very funny. So at Bentley, so so at Bentley Priory, you know, the, the thing Henning realised about the Battle of Britain is that you know the Germans Germans had no real grip on their opponent was basically the problem. Um, didn't know enough. Didn't know anything. He said, "He so that he said that's like 1982 when." Um, the German manager didn't bother looking into the Algerian team or whatever because he thought, oh, we'll beat them anyway. And yeah. Algeria beat, beat West Germany. <laughs> so he can, he can do it all via football. If you right, 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 right. <laughs> That's very funny. Oh, must have, yeah, well, I, looked, I mean, all the pictures look great. I mean, it looked like you're having an yeah. absolute hoot. But it, made me, it also made me think, God, what we could do with a, the with a We Have Ways programme. God, what we could do. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm quite taken with the idea of having a true peach. I quite like that idea. Mm. We should. I think we should. We should experiment with that. That's a nice idea. And we should get some IC people who know what they're doing. There's one. There must be one or two ex-tankers out there. The yeah. Maybe we could. Maybe we could get one. We could get one um, army tank friend each, and then the other two could be IC members. Yeah, that's a good. Or idea. something. Oh, okay. Well. Uh, that's something to mull over while we take a break um, we will be back in a second and try and answer some of your questions because as ever <laughs> yeah we didn't get very far did we <laughs> no no alright see you in a minute Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Right, um, we should answer some questions. I'm very interested in the one from Nick Grubb. I think that's a good question. OK, let's read that then. Um, my, this is from Nick Grubb. My visit to Auschwitz-Birkenau a few years ago um, had a profound effect on me and I've become more and more interested in the Holocaust and related subjects. My question is, if Allied POWs in the West were found to be Jewish, were they singled out for special treatment or were they considered to be POWs and treated accordingly? Well, the answer is, weirdly... No, they weren't. And it, and it's one of those absolutely ludicrous inconsistencies that the Nazis show from time to time. I mean, you know, the, 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 that kind of double standards, one rule for one, one for another, you know, all of that is is just littered through the Third Reich. Yeah. But it is really, really odd because in total something like about 1.4 million jews served with the allied armed forces so that also yep. includes the soviet union yeah and around 200,000 of those fell into german hands of which probably about conservatively 60,000 were western allies so the others the other 140 are you know soviet union poles whatever yep. and yep. and obviously yep. they're treated very 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 badly indeed yeah and th and that's the end of them but curiously it's not just it's not just sort of british canadian um you know uh duke forces yeah yeah it's also french who are captured so obviously there's, a, there's some like fifty five thousand french jews in the army in 1940 and whatever it is you know 2.4 million are captured doesn't it or something like that yeah whatever it is but really, what's 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 really odd is that they don't seem to have been treated particularly badly at all. There's there's evidence in camps that Jews were were picked on a bit, yeah. You know, for kind of the harder jobs and slightly bullied and slightly kind yep. of victimised. But but you were no more likely to die if you were Jewish and you were a POW the than you were. Was but the expectation was that you were, wasn't it? That, yeah, but but, you, but you but you weren't. Is is the truth? It's of the matter. so interesting, isn't it? Because the because I mean, this goes to Nick, uh, to Timothy Snyder's point though about um about um you know that, that there are these differing the, the, the differing uh, uh, scenarios sort of legally um that the, the, the Nazi state with the countries it so the countries yeah. it occupies. It treats their it treats their different legal structures di differently. So if it kind of respects the idea of France, it lets the French do what they want. Of course, the French then you have then you have varying degrees of state collaboration, especially in Vichy. But you know you know what I mean. But yep. but but they're not being they're not they're not really being made. They're not strictly speaking being made to do it. They're going along with it. You know, uh, uh, and and it and it differs from country to country, doesn't it? Whereas in yeah. Poland, where they've li literally created a vacuum, and they're going to do the, the, the you know the abolished Poland and Polish law and create this sort of this sort of 
you know, wild frontier state where they can do whatever they want. And, you know, in Denmark, they, they leave the government in place and respect the government and its laws and Danish law and all that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? These, these, these peculiar standards and these, these certainly apply in cases of ra- in their application of race law, don't they? It's really they ab- weird. absolutely do. So, so broadly speaking, and obviously there's exceptions to this, but broadly speaking, the Germans do sign up to the, the 1929 Geneva Convention when it comes to combating the Western Allies. Yeah. Broadly speaking, there are, of yeah. course, aberrations, but broadly speaking, they do. The other thing is that, broadly speaking, Western Allied POWs are looked after by the Wehrmacht as opposed yep. to the SS. And I know we've already been through, you know, with Waitman Bjorn and yeah, all the rest of it, we've been through yeah, the point clean, of the... Clean the, the, Wehrmacht, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but broadly speaking, in the West, they, they are, for, for, the, for the most part. So you're then treating that person as a competent, and competent has to be respected within the laws of the Geneva Convention because they're worried about tit-for-tats and all the rest of it. Yeah. The, the argument they always said about the Soviet Union was, well, the Soviet Union never signed up to the Geneva Convention, so, you know, why should we kind of uphold it? Uh, <laughs> but, of course, the, the difference is, is that, that the war in war in the West is a sort of, is a, I suppose, for want of a better phrase, is, is a political war. Or diplomatic war. No, it's a diplomatic okay, war. Okay, yeah, fair, fair point. Fair point. Diplomatic war. Whereas the war in the East is a war of annihilation and a war of, of ideology. Yeah. And that is, in Nazi eyes, that is the, a, a massive, massive difference. Yeah, it's a war of geopolitical... It's a war of geopolitical annihilation, the war, the right. war in the East, isn't it? So, so but, but you might... diplomatic but, war in the West. But yeah. you might say, oh, but what about all those Jews in, you know, in, in, in France and, and Holland and, and even Italy and all those Western Allied countries where they were kind of, sort of rounded up? But they're civilians under, under Nazi law as opposed to combatants. Yeah. And so that's how they make that distinction. It's bonkers, clearly, but... But that's how they do it, and that's why I think they're broadly speaking survive. I mean, three point four percent of Allied Western Allied POWs die in captivity. That yeah. figure is, I think, sixty five percent. If you're from the east, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the th- the, the the thing is though, on the Allied side, there's the expectation that if you're a Jewish competent you're going to have a really bad time of it isn't there you know that's yeah. why people change their names um uh, uh, and also i mean i uh, i wonder if it partly motivate motivates why the jews aren't allowed in anything other than the pioneer corps to start with that you don't yeah want maybe to maybe but i mean you know american americans absolutely not you know they're in their armed forces all the way through because obviously there's a huge number yeah. of jews in america yeah and they on their dog tags they have an h don't they for for hebrew yeah you know, so yeah. you can't hide it. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's absolutely fascinating, uh, and it yeah. is, and it's just yet another kind of warp thing that the German, the, you know, the Nazi state do. Well, sort of I mean, it's interesting though. Hap- yeah, go on. And well, the endless, endlessly haphazard application of all this, which actually, when we were just, I mean, yeah. funny enough, the, the the question we decided to actually look into properly before we talk about the Michelin thing, Michelin second degree thing, that becomes haphazard as well. These applications of these race laws, uh, uh, you know, uh, because in Germany, after all, it counts your your Jewish ancestry and status counts differently to, or or within the Reich rather, counts differently to, say, in Poland or, you know, they're they're less sort of um, uh, refined in, in the distinctions they make. Um, further yeah. east, aren't they? Yeah. About people's racial heritage, where within Germany, you know, because after all, that they have a, the Nazis have a problem um, with with the issue of people who fought in the First World War who were Jewish. What do you do about them, actually? Yeah. You know, how do you how with do you do that? Cross, first class. With an, exactly. How do you deal with that? You know, or who who commanded Hitler's um, uh, company, whatever, how, or whatever. You know, or, how do you actually shake that down? Yeah. You know, it's the thing. It's the thing. Goering says, you know. Um, uh, that, that his mailbag would full of, be full of people saying, well, that, you know, not the Jews who live at the end of my road, they're really, really nice. He said, well, if we did that, if we applied that universally, we wouldn't be dealing with any of the Jews, is what he says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because because in the end, this is the problem with the whole thing, is it's, is it's founded on bullshit. Yes, uh, completely. Uh, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, well, of course. I mean, but it, but, it, but this is this is the sort of... The, the, you, the you always... You, you know that... And, and you know that... The, that Goering is 
you know, he is inherently anti-Semitic, but you also know that he knows it's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Exactly. Because he's always, he's always letting, but you know, someone, a mate of his has got a, someone with a yeah. slightly dodgy, I mean, even Milk yeah. had a kind of, you know, had to have his, well, and there's this, well, this Milk thing, had to have his, uh, have it, his birth certificate doctored. Yeah. Well, and it's attributed to him, isn't it? You know, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll decide who's Jewish and who's not. It's attributed to going, but I don't know that he actually said it, but he said a thing. But, like, but he certainly believed the sentiment. Oh, c- com- completely, completely. Because, <laughs> because, no question at all. Because yeah, Goering lives in a in a in a world of e- expediency from start to finish, doesn't he? A, yeah, a personal, basically personal expediency with some sort of sprinklings of ideology. But but I mean, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you know, after all, Louis Hagen, we've just done Arnhem Lift on the on the Patreon. He's Jewish. He calls himself Louis Haig. Changes his name. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, the, the, the all of those outfits are full of people. Oh, Ken Adams. Ken Adams, six and nine squad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Tiny the tank buster. Oh, Rob, Robert Maxwell. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. I, I suppose, I don't know whether the kind of fact that there's the best part of 7 million um, German POWs in Britain has anything to do with it either. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, it's yeah. it's just, it's one of those weird anomalies that you see time and time again in the Nazi Nazi German yeah. state. I mean, it's just yeah. it's and it and it just reinforces, doesn't it, just how utterly bonkers and bullshit the whole thing was. Yeah, yeah. Should we do this one by Hamish F on Blackcock? Yes, yes. Why not? So Hamish F says, "What is the story of Operation Blackcock?" I know it was an operation to clear German troops in the Ruhr Triangle, but not much else. Well, funnily enough, I, w- I went into a model shop on um, Saturday. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah, and, while Daisy's. Daisy slept in the car outside. Um, well, um, the missus was away for the weekend. So, you know, I, I, I granted myself a green ticket. And I was in there and um, uh, uh, looking for a Stuart because I was making that Stuart yes. to, to do the Sherwood Ranger Stuart and I bought the wrong kit. Love a Stuart. Um, whatever it was. And I've got, I've got my hands on the late production Stuart, which is the one that's mm. that photo of, or footage, in fact, of the Sherwood Rangers being the first tanks into Germany, British yep. tanks into Germany. Yep. Right? And we get talking, and and um, uh, me and a couple of guys, they go, you know, you know, it's veritable, isn't it? It's veritable black cock. All those operations before the the, the clearing up before the before plunder, uh, 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 and, uh, and vasty. And what was really interesting, so the guy in there said, oh, well, my wife's uncle's Dutch, or my uncle's Dutch, and he always says that the reason the fighting was so bitter to the end in in um, uh, northern Holland. Because I said, well, so, you know, I talked about the Sherwood Rangers and said, oh, I'm a friend James has written this book about Sherwood Rangers, and you know, you know that that the invertible and Blackhawk and all that, like it's 130,000 German soldiers captured and killed. Yeah. Go, you know, it's it's as big as that's as big a bag as the fillets. You know, blah blah blah. And no one really talks about it. And he said his uncle thought that the reason the fighting was so bitter, yeah, in Holland at the end was because it's the Canadians and it's lots of SS and SD. Um, and it and because it's Northern Holland, it's not it's older SS and or it's older SD people who've right. gone there basically as occupying people. <clears throat> they know, they know there's no war for them to win. If yes, of that political persuasion, and they're up against the Canadians who, since D-Day, obviously, um, there's no quarter being given. And he think that's that's this Dutch literally this guy's Dutch uncle his his view on why things were so so bitter there but but just telling people saying so you do know there are these big battles and this this bigger bag and it's this big an effort and it's this bigger coordinated thing and it's in the winter and they're kind of wow i had no idea I'm like yeah yeah you know that's what that's what's going on that's my, my so, that, that's my new mission is to kind of make people appreciate that's my new quest and in, in uh, as as my little contribution to the narrative of the second world war is to make yeah. people understand what happened in the winter of 1944-45 yeah yeah, gosh. Join those dots. Yeah. Join those yeah. dots. Yeah. So, so Blackcock. Get... So Blackcock is a pre-veritable yeah. operation. So Ver- veritable yeah. is a big twenty-first Army Group operation. And basically, before you do a big operation, you want to make your task as easy, a, a very difficult, complicated task. You want to make it as easy as you possibly can. And yeah. what you don't want is kinks in the line. So basically, you want yeah. to, you want a, a large straight. This is this is the whole principle about Operation Citadel. But Kursk, you've got this yeah. big square sticking with Kursk in the middle, and it's sticking out of the line. So that's obviously increasing your front line threefold. You know, because yeah. if it's you know in Kursk, it's kind of three sides of a of a, of a square, so it's three times larger than it needs to be. Yeah, and. Yeah. 
Um, and the, and the, the, there is this triangle jutting out south westwards from the river Ruhr. Roa rather than the Ruhr. So yeah. it's R O E R rather than R U H R. Yeah. And uh, and it sticks out as this jutting triangle. And obviously you 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 don't want that there. You want to straighten the line out so it's all one sort of you know it can have a few kinks and a few things, but you don't want anything major. So so this is an operation launched on the sixteenth of of January nineteen forty five. Snow is on the ground. It's absolutely freezing. So this is when they're all painting their Sherman tanks white and all this kind of stuff and carriers white and so yeah. on and sections. And it's a three-divisional attack. It is the 7th Armoured Division, the Desert Rats, on the left. It's the 52nd Lowland Division, one for Akak Aitchison, in the middle. And it's the 43rd Wessex Division on the right. Uh, So it's a three-pronged attack. And it is, you know, it's, it's... On the face of it, it shouldn't have been particularly tricky. And actually, it isn't. It is all over by whatever it is, the 23rd of January or something. So it's basically a week. Um... Uh, and they do capture Heinsberg and they do get divorced and all this kind of stuff. And they, they, they absolutely yeah. achieve all that they need to achieve. It's just the whole process is just made a million times worse by the appalling weather. Yeah. You know, it, it's absolutely brutal. Um, yeah. You know, all yeah. the roads have been mined, of course. You know, there are enough. There are a number of Germans. The Germans have brought up extra artillery pieces as well for this. Yeah. So, there's, you know, they're up against some, you know, not massive, but significant artillery opposition. And it's just a, a sort of horrible grinding battle in snow and ice, and it's just miserable. Well, and it, and it but it also epitomises, you know, all the all the things that go with. I mean, after all, the Germans have tried. Uh, uh, you know, this is not long after um, uh, the Ardennes offensive, is it? Where the Germans have tried in in very very bad weather, and in fact made use of the bad weather, so they're they're not bothered by the air. They've tried to do something that that. That, that, that then goes horribly wrong, haven't they? Yeah. And it, it just shows <clears throat> it's really, really difficult in this sort of weather to get anything done, even if the even if you have um, full air support, even if you have material um, uh, superiority and all that sort of stuff. It's just difficult, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's January. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, so but, Heinsberg, but, Heinsberg falls on the 25th of January. So, yes, yeah, it's yeah. nine days, really, I suppose, in, in, in all. I think Seven Farm had stopped first, if I remember rightly, on the on the 16th. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, the stories of it, you know, the stories of... I remember Peter Mellows, he, he's he's one of the one of the uh, troop commanders in a squadron of the Sherwood Rangers, and, and he hears at night, he hears people calling out, you know, wounded, calling out. To, to be rescued and you know people are beetling yeah. around trying to pick up all these guys and the following morning he's absolutely horrified to find loads of them just sort of you know half out of their their foxholes sort of dead frozen in the night yeah yeah because they haven't been found yeah. you know it's, I mean, it's, it's really horrible it, yeah i mean the stuff the stuff with from with jocks from black blackcock is yeah. all like that it's yeah. all hideous yeah just absolutely horrible <sighs> uh, well anyway we um, we have to we have to go, don't we? We um, yeah. uh, we we've other stuff we've to do. A time. friend sent me this. A friend sent me something very sweet. Um, she's been going through her grandma's papers, um, and found a, a letter to her grandma, um, from the prime minister. Wow! So sent to her in uh, Normanton in Yorkshire, and the letter says, "It's from Ten Downing Street." It says, "I've been deeply touched by all the messages of goodwill which have reached me at this time. Thank you so much for your kind thought, Winston Churchill, May 1945, because she had written to him." To thank him for ending the war on her birthday. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? No, Was it the seventh or the eighth or the ninth? I, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but she she was a little girl and she wrote to the That's she wrote to Churchill fabulous. to thank him for writing. Wow! Uh, thank him for ending. Isn't the war that on wonderful? Her yeah. Brilliant. Love it. I'll send you. I'll, I'll send you a screen grab. Yeah, it's do. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Love right. to see that. Right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, live cast as usual on Monday night, except for um, next Monday. Um, uh, so we will have done well. We, effectively, we record this on a Monday. So we did one last night, um, <laughs> but there won't be one next week. Um, we will see you all soon. Thank you so much for listening. Warfest is sold out. Look out for returns, as we say in show business. See you soon. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye. <laughs>